Welcome and thank you for joining our Bible study and reflection for November 18th, 2020. Over the past eight months or so, I have invited you to share this podcast with others because I truly do believe when God's word is sent out or shared, it never returns empty. Many of you have accepted this invitation. The platform that hosts my podcast offers statistics on each podcast. It is very humbling and encouraging to know that because a lot of you have accepted the invitation to share these podcasts, they have been listened to in Lake Stevens, Washington, Anchorage, Alaska, Centennial, Colorado, Hialeah Gardens, Florida, Greensboro, North Carolina, Orangeburg, South Carolina, St. Stephen, South Carolina, and of course, our local locations. Thank you, and I encourage you to keep sharing God's Word. Peace be with you. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father and most gracious God, we thank you for the ministry, teachings, and examples of your one and only Son, Jesus. As we abide in your Word, help us to learn from examples your Son, gives us. Help us to be more Christ-like in our thoughts, words, and deeds. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have titled our Bible study and reflection today, Be Present and Engaged. Now what I'm about to read is shocking. Pastor Metz has referenced this story before. I'm going to read the words of Dr. Robert Simon, who is a mental health professional, and I quote, The Golden Gate Bridge is the premier suicide venue in the United States. The lure of the bridge as a place to end one's life is such that individuals fly long distances to San Francisco, go directly to the bridge, and jump to their deaths. In preparing a talk on suicide prevention, I read about a man in his 30s who left a note in his apartment that said he would not jump from the Golden Gate Bridge if, on the way to the bridge, he met one person who smiled at him. He jumped. Now, let me tell you about a housekeeper that came to our house every Friday for the better part of 20 years. And over time, she became part of our extended family. Fanny Bright had one of the best work ethics of anybody I've ever known. She was a very humble person, but at the same time very engaging and had a wonderful presence about her. Unfortunately, in early 2018, Fanny came down with the flu and was hospitalized and did not make it out of the hospital. We attended Fanny's funeral services at a small Baptist church on North Main Street here in Columbia. During the eulogy, the pastor was outlining all of Fanny's wonderful attributes. He came to her ability to be present and engaging. He invited those in attendance to be more like Fanny in a humble, engaging way. He emphasized the importance of being present wherever we are. It didn't make any difference if it's a grocery store, the hardware store, or just walking down the street. He invited us all to be present and engage people 
even if they're strangers, with just a simple hello or how are you, or it could even just be a smile. Fanny was a great example of being present and engaged, and for that I will be forever grateful. You may remember in one of our April Bible studies, we took a look at the encounter of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. This, among many other stories, is one that is found in the book of John. Here's a reading from John chapter 4, verses 4 through 14. Now, he had gone through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, if we skip just a little bit ahead in the book of John, let's see what the outcome of this visit was. We'll pick up the story beginning at verse 25. Here's the reading. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking to her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Now let's go to verse 39. And we'll see the result of Jesus making himself present to the woman at the well and engaging her. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Now just reflect on what difference it was that Jesus made in so many lives because he was simply present and engaged at the well that day. Another example, I'm sure you remember the, 
the story of Zacchaeus, the short tax collector. You will see that Jesus definitely wanted to be present in Zacchaeus' life. The story is found in Luke chapter 19, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. Here is the reading. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. In this story, did Zacchaeus introduce himself to Jesus? Or was it the other way around? Jesus knew he was going to be there, and he made himself present to him, and even invited himself to his house. I don't believe Jesus ever did anything that was not intentional. Jesus was on a mission. He was always intentional. Because Jesus was willing to make himself present and engaged and enter into the company of a tax-collecting sinner, Zacchaeus and his house received salvation, and many others witnessed an example of the upside-down kingdom living. What do you say or do when you learn a family member, friend, business associate, or neighbor has just suffered an event that is causing them much pain, sorrow, and grief? A close friend of mine once told me he dreaded standing in line at a visitation because he just stood there with his hands in his pocket and his head down, staring at his shoes. We all, all have experienced these times when words just seemed to be locked inside and we just didn't know what to say or how to verbally express our condolences. The mere act of being present for someone in their time of grief is such a great expression of your love. Your physical presence is a very powerful expression of your love for a grieving person, but your presence can also be made known through a text, an email, handwritten note, or a phone call. What do you say and what do you do are still lingering questions. There are a lot of don'ts that we should avoid when communicating with someone experiencing grief. Instead of listing all the don'ts, I would like to share a couple of comforting do's. I'm thinking about you. I love you. I am here for you. These are words I've found to be most comforting to me when I have experienced grief in the past. 
Physical touch is very powerful, albeit difficult today, and could be as simple as a handshake, pat on the back, or a heartfelt hug. I remember when my mom died in February of 1972, we had her visitation at my parents' house. I was overwhelmed by the number of people that came to our house that evening to pay their respects. I don't remember anything anyone said to me on that evening, but I do have a vivid memory of everyone's presence. My friend's mere presence, pats on the back, hugs, and smiles meant so much to me. As Christians, we know that we do not give the cure because that is God's gift. We can be, and are certainly encouraged to be, part of the giving process of healing. Our presence, reflective listening, non-judgmental compassion, and distinctively Christian care are a few of the healing seeds we plant, trusting in God to give the ultimate cure. Even though Paul was referring to the early church's growth when he referred to God causing the growth, the same can be applied to the caregiving process and ultimate cure for those experiencing grief. The exact passage can be found in 1 Corinthians 3.6, but to put it in terms of comforting others during their grief, it would be, we plant the seeds of hope for cure. Other Christian friends water the seeds of hope, and God ultimately gives the cure. As much as we would like to erase someone's grief and fix them, we cannot. We must put our trust in God to do that. We take comfort in knowing that we are doing what Jesus asked of his disciples. Beginning in John 14 and continuing through John 15, Jesus comforts his disciples. What Jesus told his disciples applies to you and me as well. Here's a reading from John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. And here's a reading from John chapter 20, verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we thank you for your son's ministry and the examples of him being present and engaged. We ask that you allow your Holy Spirit to stir up our hearts so that we may be more present and engaged with our neighbors. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Go in peace, serve the Lord, and be present and engaged.